So we're continuing today in a series that we started last week called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And I want to ask you a question today. Has anyone ever been forgotten by somebody? Somebody has forgotten you. Maybe you were on a date and uh, somebody stood you up and they forgot about you. Maybe you were a kid and uh, your parents forgot to pick you up from childcare once or something. I want to tell you a story this morning about the time my dad forgot about me. I was eight years old. It was 1987, and we had just moved from a city in Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom, uh, called Newport, and we had just moved to another city called Wolverhampton, which is in the middle of England. And my dad had become a, a pastor of a church in, uh, in, in, in the Wolverhampton area. And we had purchased a house, but the house that they had purchased was a fixer-upper. And so for the first month, we couldn't live there. And so instead of living there for that first month, we lived with my grandparents, which lived about 25, 30 miles away. It would be the equivalent of having a house here in Bel Air and my grandparents living in Baltimore. And uh, so... The school season uh, or the school uh, semester just started, and so my parents wanted to make sure that we were in school, even though we weren't living in this house at the time. And so they enrolled us in the local elementary school called Woodfield Avenue Elementary School. And uh, what we would have to do, we'd wake up really early in the morning. My dad would then take us to school through the morning rush hour, and uh, he would get us to school, and then he would go and uh, start his day and, and, and work, and then he would cut out early, come and pick us up, and uh, then take us home. And uh, it, this would happen every day for about a month, and my dad was often late, which was no surprise to us, which was fine, you know. I mean, he, 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 other parents were there, like, before the school bell rang, but our dad was always about five, ten minutes late, but he was trying to cut out of work early, and he had things to do and things like that just to pick us up. Well, I remember the one day we got outside the school, and kids were everywhere, and parents were coming, picking their kids up, and and uh, this was back in the day when, you know, you could have been a five-year-old kid and walk home by yourself, you know. I mean, we didn't have school buses in the UK. And so we were outside the school gates. And then there was a crossing lady who would help you cross the road. And this particular day, there was my sister and myself. And all the kids, their parents came. And one by one, the kids got picked up. But we didn't. And we were waiting around, and we were like, oh, my dad's late again. I'm like, I'm going to kill him. Like, why are we always the last? Why are we always the latest? Why do we can't get home before everybody else? And we were pacing back and forth, and, and my sister was like, oh, I hate my dad, you know, and stuff. Well, the time went on, and 10 minutes turned into 15 minutes, and then they turned into 20 minutes. At that point decided just to sit down on the roadside and just wait for my dad. And I just sat there and waited. At this point, the crossing lady who was about to finish her job said, has your dad not come yet? And we we're like, no. She says, well, let me go into the school to see if we can get hold of him. This was 1987. There was no cell phones. There was no text messaging. Nobody had phones back then. Well, they had like a wire or something like that, you know, no phones. And so she went into the school, and we just sat there, and she tried to find, go into the school office, but the school office was closed because the teachers had gone home. And she decided to wait with us there, and that 20 minutes turned into 30 minutes, it turned into 40 minutes. And the thoughts during my 
young minds as an eight-year-old young boy. My dad's forgotten us. My dad isn't coming. My dad doesn't care about us. And I remember sitting there and just anger welling up and a few tears started to fall. My sister still, she was like 10. She was still cussing her way back over there. She still does that today. But but I sat there despondent. 45 minutes turned into an hour. An hour turned into an hour and 15 minutes. Then we looked up. And my dad's Ford Granada at the time that he had screeches in. And we look and we're like, Dad, where have you been? And he was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we were so mad with him. I got up from sitting on the sidewalk. I got into the car. I sat in the back. And I just remained quiet. And I didn't say anything to him. For the first time in my life, I thought, is my dad's going to come? Does my dad even care about me? For my dad's forgotten about me. But on that ride home, and by this time, he was supposed to pick us up at 3.30, and it was nearly 5 o'clock when he came. Now we had rush hour, so now what was a 40-minute journey turned into an hour and a half journey, so we got home even later. But there was something about being in the back seat of my father's car driving home that suddenly this peace came upon us, for I was in the presence of my dad. My dad was there. I thought he had forgotten about me, but he came finally. And there is a peace about being with your father. Now, there's some different emotions that go on. And the emotions are very different when someone you think has forgotten about you as opposed to somebody being late. Now, my dad was late occasionally for me, but my mother, she is always late. My mother says she has time dyslexia. I don't even think it's a thing, but she thinks it's a thing. She thinks that that there is something mentally wrong with her, why she is always late. I know what's wrong with her. She never checks her watch. That's her problem. So we were used to people being late. We know the feeling when they're late. We're just like, oh, they're late again. We're going to miss it. But there was a totally different feeling this time. The emotions were totally different for dad had forgotten about us. Have you ever thought, has God forgotten us? Has that thought ever come over your mind? God has forgotten me. Now, I know theologically that would never happen. Because the Bible tells us that, that that's just a, a wrong way to think about theology, to think about God, because God never forgets us. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, and it's repeated again in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, God does not leave us or forsake us. So theologically, we know that God has not forgotten about us. But I want you today to start to search the depths of your heart, to delve into the innermost beings of your soul, to see if you've ever asked that question, I think God has forgotten me. See, and this is where faith is so important. See, this is what I think faith is. Faith is the bridge between what the Word of God says and what you are actually experiencing at the time. Faith is this bridge that bridges the two together because if you've been on this Christian journey long enough, you will understand there are things in the Bible that God says it, it will take place or promises that God has, but what you are experiencing are very different at that time. 
Like that time when my dad forgot, my, my dad said he would pick us up. But what my dad said and what we experienced at the time, there was a difference. And what faith is, faith is the bridge between that. And in the Bible, the Bible says that God will never leave us or forsake us. But you may be going through a period where you feel God has forgotten about me. And faith is that bridge between them. You may be going through a situation in your life where the Bible says that God, in the Hebrew says, I am, I am Jehovah Rufika, God that heals. But you're going through a sickness right now or a disease. And faith is the bridge between what God says, God is a healer, and your sickness. You may be going through a, a moment in your life right now where, where, where the Bible says, in, in the Hebrew, he says that, that uh, I, I am Jehovah Jireh, God your provider. That's what that means, God your provider. God says, I am your provider. But you're going through an experience right now where you feel very little of God's provision, and you're struggling day after day. And what faith is, faith is the bridge between that. That's what faith is, and so that's why it's so important to have faith, because it's the bridge between what the Word of God says and what you are actually experiencing at the time. And if I'm to be honest with you, right now there have been seasons in my life where I feel spiritually, I've been sitting on the roadside waiting for God. And I know what the Word of God says, and the Word of God says this, but it seems like God just hasn't come. And sometimes it feels like all the other kids, Father God has come and picked them up and they've moved on in their life and they've gone on and, 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 and they haven't been forgotten about and God is, is, is working in their life. And then, But I felt sometimes in my life, I'm just sitting here. Because it feels like Father God has forgotten about me. And I want to ask you a question today. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like that? I guarantee if you've been on this journey of faith long enough, then there has been a moment when you felt like that. You felt like the little boy sitting on the side of the road because God said he was going to be there and God wasn't there. Well, if you've ever felt like that, then you are in good company this morning. For in the Bible, there is a guy who is one of the most famous men in the Bible. In fact, he's gone down as one of the greatest men the Bible has ever talked about. He was the king of his country at one point, And he's gone down in history as a man called a man after God's own heart. His name is David. And David felt exactly the same. There was one moment in David's life when David was that little boy sitting on the roadside saying, God, you've forgotten about me. And we find this episode in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bible, if you want to turn to Psalms chapter 13, Psalms 13. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen. And this is a song that David wrote about that time when David was sitting on the roadside waiting for his father to come, Father God to come, and God just didn't come. And this is what it says. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. 
I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. There's something about the Psalms I love. I love reading the Psalms because they are so raw. I mean, they are as raw as you can get. There's no sugar coating. There's no dampening down. They are either the cries of a hurting soul or they are the rejoicing of a praising heart. The, the psalmists, they're, 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 they're a little different to us church folks today because this is what we do. We come into church and everything's okay every single week. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. That, that, that's kind of the churchy thing that we do. We, we, we really don't want to show our innermost feelings about what we're feeling about life right now because we, we, we kind of like to hide that. But the psalmists were different. They, they wore their hearts on their sleeves. There was no hiding their real feelings. You knew exactly what they felt at all times. And this psalm, Psalm 13, was a psalm written by David. And he is wearing his heart on his sleeve. He is showing all his emotions. He's showing all that he is feeling, all of his thoughts. Now, I'm English, and the English are renowned, renowned, for not showing any emotion at all. Like, like tears were a no-no. It, you, you could not really tell people how you felt. I was telling someone this week about the English, and there was, they, they were asking about how English culture is. I said, this is how English culture is. You will go into the re- restaurant, you will have the worst meal of your life, but you will never complain to anybody about that meal. You just won't go to the restaurant again. And this guy was like, what? You don't complain about your meal. I'm like, no, they'll like spit in your food or something, you know? It's like, you just don't complain that. And British people, they're like that. You just don't show your emotions at all. But the psalmists aren't like that. Now, this is a psalm of David, and we don't know when this psalm was written or where it was written. It does not tell us that at all. But most scholars and theologians will argue that this psalm was written in a period in David's life when David was fleeing for his life and he was fleeing from King Saul. You see, David, to put this in perspective, this psalm in perspective, David had been a faithful son to his father. David was a good son. He did household chores. He went and helped in his father's business. He was a good son. And then one day, out of nothing, God called him to become the king of Israel. There was a guy called Samuel who turned up at their door one day, and he anointed David to become king, the future king of Israel. David did not ask to be called, but God called him. And then following from this, then David, he was an expert harp player. And he was invited by the king of the country at the time, Saul, to come into the palace and play and be the personal harpist for the king. And so when the king fell down, instead of putting some jazz or mood music on, he called for David and David played the harp and he felt a lot better. David did not ask or apply to become the king's harpist. He was invited. But David was faithful in those, in, in those things. And then one day, David's father came to him and says, David, your brothers are at war 
They're in the Israeli army and they're at war with the Philistines. And what I want you to do, they're going to be hungry. Take this food to them in their battle so they can have strength in the battle. And so David walks down to where the battle is. He goes to the front line. He sees his brothers. He gives them food. And then he comes face to face with, with, with the enemy of Israel, the Philistines, and their champion, a guy called Goliath, who was a giant. And he was taunting the armies of Israel and he was saying all bad stuff about David's God, the God Jehovah. And so David didn't like this. All the armies of Israel were super scared and you know the story. David went and picked up five little stones out of a stream. He took a sling with him and he put the stone in the sling and slung the sling. The stone hit the giant in the head. The giant went down and died. David cut his head off, kept his sword, held the head up. David was the hero for the day. David did not ask to go to war. It was just presented to him. Following from this then, then Saul says, okay, David, I now want you to come and live in the palace. Not, not, not just, just come occasionally when, 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 when I want the heart playing. I want you to come and work and live in the palace. And here's my daughter while you're at it as well. You can take her and marry her. David did not ask for this. But David was faithful. So it happened. David then was a good servant and David was a good worker and he worked his way up through the ranks and he got promoted and eventually he became the general of the army of Israel. And under David's leadership, the army then started to thrive and prosper and they started to defeat the enemies and the Philistines were put to flight. And everybody was cheering because David was the victor of the day and then people started to sing that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. David did not ask for this. David was just faithful. But the problem was throughout all of this, Saul became jealous. And Saul felt that David was a threat to his throne. And this just shows us in this world, people like people who do well. But it is rare for people to celebrate your success at the expense of their success. And you have to be very careful of people who are threatened by you. They are threatened by your success, threatened by the good things that you will do because jealousy will set in. As a result, Saul plots to kill David. David hears about it. David goes on the run. And this running starts to tire David out to a point where David decides to turn himself into his enemies. He even acts like a madman, like he's lost his mind. At one point, but his enemies didn't want anything to do with him. And so eventually, after running and running and running, and Saul chasing him down, and Saul just wanted David's life. He didn't want David to exist anymore. David found himself in a cave, living in a cave. This boy who once had a place in his father's home, once was the champion of Israel, once lived in the palace, once was the general of the biggest and best army on earth, now was living in a cave on the run, and he had done nothing wrong at all. And this, what many theologians and scholars think, is when David wrote this psalm. And so what I want to do very quickly this morning, I want to just pick out three things from this psalm that that we see that will help you if you've ever asked that question, 
God, have you forgotten me? Because let's be honest, if you were David, you would probably think the same. God, I've done everything right. I've been faithful to you. I've been faithful to my boss. I've been faithful to my father. I've stood in the, I've stood in the face of giants and declared that God is a strong God. And now look what is happening to me right now. I'm in the middle of a cave. I'm, I'm running for my life. I have nothing. And so we see from this psalm, the first thing, we see David's secret thoughts. David's secret thoughts. Verse 1 and 2 says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? And David's like, God, I'm not even going to answer that. I'm going to let you answer that question. I'm going to answer it forever. Then he says this, How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy get the upper hand? David starts this psalm with some outrageous statements that are so theologically inaccurate. I'll be honest, if I was to make these statements today or in my life, then you probably should fire me as a pastor. Because they are so theologically wrong. God, why have you forgotten me? How long will you forget me forever? I mean, that's just not, that's not theologically right. But if you've ever been through a season when your faith is tested and God seemed to be non-existent, then you may have heard the depths of your soul cry out with the same pain that David's soul did. And even though you have all your theology right, you may still cry out, God, have you forgotten me? God, how long will it take? God, why do you keep looking the other way? God, why are you not coming through? God, why are you not listening to my prayers? God, why, why is it that nothing good in my life is happening? Why is nothing moving? Why, why, why are we not making any momentum or progress here? God, where are you? And for David, this cry goes into something that's even much deeper. Something that I think many of us have probably had to deal with and ask the question why. And he firstly recognizes that sorrow is real in life. And I, I want to tell you today that sorrow is real in life. You will go through trials and sorrows in this life. Anyone who says that if you follow Christ, then all your sorrows will be gone. That is not true. For even Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus shouted out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus, in the worst moment of his life on death's door, asked the same question to God. God, have you forgotten me? And this is the same what David asked here. See, this is what I know. When God seems to be distant, there is a void. And sorrow will often try to fill that void. We see one of the greatest questions in life from David. He asked this, God, why do my enemies prosper when I suffer? David had done everything right, but yet David was suffering. And Saul, who had done everything wrong, was prospering. Have you ever asked yourself that question? I'll be honest with you and totally transparent today. I've done it many times. 
Sometimes I've looked at, at the seven years we've had Generation Church, and, 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 and I know other people, and there are good churches and there are bad churches. Not all churches are good. There are some bad churches out there. And I've, I know some people who their church on the outside seems to be thriving, and they're doing great, and new people are coming all the time, and they've got money, and they've got buildings, and they're doing this and that. But I know their heart isn't really for the people. It's just to grow a big church. And sometimes just being totally transparent today. I'm like, God, why are they prospering? When we're trying to do everything right and we love people, but yet we've struggled at times over these seven years. I've said the same financially, and I'm sure many of you may have. You know, since I was a young boy, my parents taught me to tithe. And I've tithed all throughout my life and, and, and made sure that God gets the first of, of whatever I get paid. But yet there's been times when I've questioned, God, are you seeing what we're doing for you? We're trying to put you first, but we've struggled. There's all but one time in my life that, that, and one season when I didn't tithe. And that's because I got mad. And I got mad at God and I got mad at other people. And it was the worst financial season of my life. But there's been times in our lives and in our marriage where we have struggled financially. And we struggled and struggled. And then we've looked at other people who don't care about others. Never give a dime to, 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 to anything. They're not generous. They hold it all for themselves. But yet they seem to prosper. And they have lots of money. And they never seem to struggle. But yet when we've been generous, we've struggled. Anyone else ever... Ask those questions at times. And this is exactly where David was. God, why are they prospering and I'm struggling? It's the real struggle of the Christian faith at times because we don't understand God. So David's secret thoughts. But David's secret thoughts took a different turn. His secret thoughts turned into authentic prayers. David's authentic prayers. Verse 3 and 4, it says this, God, turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle in my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. See, David is known as a man after God's own heart. And he is so dearly loved by God. And I think this is the reason why. Because his response in trouble is to turn to God, not away from God. God is nowhere to be seen. His secret thoughts are full of questions. God, why have you forgotten me? But yet instead of turning away from God, he turns to God. And the questions turn into a prayer. And these prayers are as authentic as you will get. And David can teach us a lot about prayer just in these two verses. So David Instead of starting to look at everyone else and what's going on with everyone else, he decided to turn and center on his own soul and what God was doing within him. And this was his prayer. God, work in me. Revive me. God, restore my faith. Restore my vision. Restore my strength. Have you noticed what he says? He says, God, restore the sparkle in my eyes. Restore the sparkle in my eyes. Sounds like a funny thing to say. Well, in the Hebrew culture, there was something that they, they had called dim eyes. And what dim eyes represented, they represented that someone's powers were, they were losing their powers or their powers were dimming. 
and they were about to die. And, and so David prays this prayer, God, don't let my eyes be dim anymore. Return the sparkle in my eyes. See, in this moment, in this cave, in this when David was on the run, David's eyes started to get dim. He started to lose his faith. He started to lose his vision. He started to lose his purpose. And his eyes got dimmer. And his faith was dying. And he says, God... Let my eyes be sparkling once again. So my eyes will show the life and the faith I have in you. And this morning, many of us, we may have to pray that prayer as well. God, restore the sparkle in my eyes. Meaning, give me fresh hope. Give me fresh faith. Give me fresh vision. And then the second part of this prayer Now David is starting to get fresh eyes. David can feel that he is losing the battle, but he understands that the battle is not won in the physical. The battle is won in the spiritual. And so he says, God, do not let my enemies be victorious over me, for I understand you are my strength. You are my victory. His authentic prayer. So David had these secret thoughts that he turned into an authentic prayer. And the result of authentic prayer is this. David did a 360. And he started to have a perfect praise. David's perfect praise. Listen what it says. David says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. There are two responses that you can do. When, God, when you feel God has forgotten about you, you can complain to yourself or you can complain to God. The problem when we complain to ourselves is that our eyes grow dim. Our faith begins to die. And, and we start looking all around and blaming everybody else. But when we start to complain to God, what happens is our eyes start to sparkle again. Faith starts to develop again. And while the situation may not immediately change, suddenly you start to find renewed strength within you. David's authentic prayer turned into perfect praise. He started to see things in a different light. Now David is praising God in faith. Still what God says and what his experience is in is different. But the broken bridge of faith that was in David's life is being rebuilt. And David is now starting to see that God's word is true and God's word is alive. See, this is what perfect praise is. Perfect praise is a declaration of God's before you even see him turn up. And that's why you should never stop singing. It's why you should never stop praising. You should never stop worshipping. See, the enemy of your soul knows that your eyes will sparkle in worship. That your eyes will sparkle when you praise God. And if he can stop you worshipping, then he will mess with your soul. That day in 1987, when my father finally turned up, we were so mad at him. Didn't say much on the way home. But he started to explain why he was late. There was a crisis at church he had to deal with. At 3.30, he called the school to tell them that he would be late. But they couldn't find us. 
The teachers tried to find us, but we'd already left. We were outside the school gates and they couldn't find us. And the crisis that my dad had to deal with was more important than making sure we were picked up on time. My dad had not forgotten about us. In fact, my dad tried to do everything to make sure that we were taken care of. Remember, there was no cell phones. There was no social media. There was no anything back then. And we started realizing that there was a purpose for our waiting. There was somebody who needed my father more than what we needed him in that moment. And there's purpose in your waiting. And maybe you may feel that God has forgotten about you, but there is purpose in your waiting because God has not forgotten about you. In fact, what happened with David, David is in this cave called the Cave of Adullam. And the Bible says, suddenly all the people, all the misfits, all the people who are in sorrow, all those on the run, all those in pain, all those who were dejected and rejected started to come to David. And they started to live in the cave with David. Sounds a little weird, right? But this is what happens. Then suddenly David starts finding out that some of these men are mighty men. And these men love God. And these men are are, are not rejects, but they are champions. And some of the men who were with David in the cave of Adullam, years later you start to read about them, that they were mighty men of God. They became the generals and the officers and the strength of Israel. They went out and killed giants and they defeated armies. And it was in that moment that David felt dejected, but God was working in David. And God was bringing people to David who would lift David up when David would become king. And while David thought that Saul was prospering and David was suffering, really what was happening, God was forming and shaping David. And God was creating the pathway for David to become the king of Israel. So whatever your secret thoughts are today, turn them to authentic prayers. Don't complain to yourself. Complain to God. Where God can work in and through you. And as as God begins to work, watch as those prayers start to become songs of perfect praise. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. As As you bow your heads in prayer, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 49. And this is what it says. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never, says God. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that was possible, I, says the Lord, would not forget you. See, I have written your name in the palms of my hands. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruins. Soon your descendants will come back and all who are trying to destroy you will go away. Look around and see. All your children will come back to you. As surely as the Lord lives, says the Lord. They will be like jewels or bridal ornaments for you to display. Just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning, 
I'm here to tell you today that God has not forgotten you. That God has not left you on the shelf. That you're not like that little eight-year-old boy in Wolverhampton, England, who sat on the roadside thinking that daddy had forgotten him and daddy had left him. There is purpose in your waiting. There is purpose in you sitting there. There is purpose in what God is doing. God is molding you and God is shaping you and God is creating the pathway for you. For God has not forgotten you. For your name is in the palm of his hands. And while all others seem to be prospering, God is making a roadway in the wilderness. He is creating rivers in the dry wasteland. And so those secret thoughts that you may have, turn them Godward this morning. And watch how your eyes will start to sparkle again. And your authentic prayers will turn into perfect praise. And you once again will see God do what God has promised. And what God says and what you are experiencing this time will be bridged together by the faith that God is doing within you. And so if you're going through anything in your life right now, if you're asking that question, God, why have you forgotten me? If you're saying God just doesn't care anymore, then this morning I want you to lift up your heart and lift up your soul and pray with me this morning.